It's good to see you. Uh, so I was on social media, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and it was interesting because people were noting that this week, on February 14th, this Wednesday, is both Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, uh, which is kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> so for many of us, this might seem a little strange. Why would we uh, celebrate both human love on the same day that we solemnly recognize our frailty as human beings who go from dust to dust? However, as I was preparing and I thought about it more and more, I realized that these two events actually have more in common than we usually think. Both share a common reality of being known. Being known and really known is both a wonderful gift and a vulnerable, even awkward, that as well. So actually this is a perfect juxtaposition, I think. Um, so even in our best human relationships, we often can find ourselves saying, we know each other, right? You should know this about me. We've been around each other for, for all this time, and still, you don't know this thing about me, right? Um, and so even in the best relationships, uh, there's a limit to how much we know of each other. And human love and friendships are a very concrete way that we do experience that love and um, being known. But they're limited in a way that God is not. In our scripture today, Psalm 139, and if you want to open up, you can look at it. Um, sorry, this is really made for people with big ears. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's better. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, there's probably a better way to do this. Someone knows? Tape. That's actually the... I know people use tape. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so if you want to open up to one, Psalm 139, you can. But I'm also going to have it on the screen. But I recognize the slides. May be, it may be small print for some of you. So this is actually my favorite psalm, uh, True Confession, um, and I'll share a little more of that throughout. So this is very personal. So I'm just going to share a lot of things that are on my heart, um, but I hope that through my experience that it also blesses you and uh, that you encounter God through this. Um, so let me just take a moment to pray. Lord, um, we thank you uh, that you are here with us right now. and. We invite you to meet us um, and to speak to us personally, face to face. We just give you all the distractions, all the other things, um, and we just come before you today. And we want to hear these words afresh, whether they're new or old to us. And so we just give this time to you in your name. Amen. So Psalm 139 uh, speaks of a God who completely knows us. He knows us in the present, and he knows us in the future. Um, he's a God who is constantly with us, even when we think we're alone. And he celebrates us completely as his wonderful masterpiece. And because of this, we will see the psalmist responds in honesty before God. And so we see that really messy part at the end of the psalm. We'll talk about that. Um, 
And he allows God even more to search and know him. So we're going to slow down together. We're going to reread these lines and we're going to consider the depth of these realities further. So first of all, you and your ways are known by God. So God has already searched and known us, as it says in verses 1 to 6. It says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So here we see that God sees what no one else sees. He knows our heart, our desires, our thoughts, even our words before we say them. Think about those human people that you know, that person that knows you the best, and they probably can complete your sentences sometimes, right? They can, they can almost think what you're feeling or thinking when you're in a room and you're having a conversation with others and they're like, I think I, I know what's going on and they can talk to you about it. But we get this wrong as well, right? There's lots of times that doesn't work and we don't understand each other. But God does know our most intimate thoughts even better than we know ourselves. Sometimes I find that it's actually as I'm praying with God that he reveals things that I don't even know about myself or I don't even realize. And we'll come back to this at the end. So verse 3 was also very interesting to me. So as I was translating this, I realized there was a metaphor that was a little bit lost. Um, so the original language preserves this image. And it's one way that you could translate this is, you have tracked out my journeying and my camping. You foresee or you are familiar with all my paths. So an ancient Israelite would understand this image, right? As they're journeying for days and days and they would camp and they would go, you know, uh, do that all the time. Um, maybe today, if you've ever gone on a hike or maybe backpacking, I don't know any of, any of you backpackers. Uh, no, <laughs> I've done it once. <laughs> I have a friend who often leads people on these trips. Um, so the challenge with hiking, though, is I don't know if you've ever had it where it's sometimes hard to find the, the path and you're not really sure where it's at. Or maybe there's weeds or there's things there that are, are in the way and you're not quite sure where to go. But if you have a good Sherpa or a, a guide, right, they'll actually make sure that you follow the right way and they'll clear the way for you. So this tracking it out. Um, or maybe you just have a good map or the signs. Those are helpful. But a person's really helpful. <laughs> um, and they can walk along that path and help you find your way. And so um, I think this image really resonates with me probably right now at this place in my life as well. Um, is that God not only knows the way, who we are, but he also knows where we're going. Even when we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know where it's going to be. But we follow Jesus as our guide, step by step, knowing that he knows the way. So I like this picture. It's in the fog. You don't really know where he's going. Um, but that is an image, I think, that um, God might have for you, is that he is walking with us in that. 
Um, but also, God's knowledge of our future is not just something um, abstract. It's, something, it's not something that doesn't fit us. God knows us so well and intimately that his guidance is always personal. He leads us on a special track, right, that is just for us. He knows our habits from the time we wake up to the time we lay down at night. He's familiar with all our ways. And then verse 5 is a beautiful image for me um, that transitions to our next section. It says this, You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. I don't know for you it, what this is for you, but for me, this reminds me of a parent tucking their, parent, their kids in at night. I don't know how many of you tuck, tucked your kids in at night, yes, or have been tucked in at night, and that, that feeling of being like, you know, having the covers kind of put all around you, and, and this place of safety and security. Um, and so I think that's really important. Um, but the reality is mom and dad leave, right? And it gets dark. And I remember when I was younger, so it was when, actually when I was a teenager, that I started to not be able to fall asleep at night. And I would panic. So everyone else is in the house, right? I'm not really alone, but they're all asleep and it's dark. And I'm frustrated because I just can't sleep. And I start to panic. And just feel this loneliness of like, oh, no one else is here. And then I found this psalm, and I started to read it before bed. And it brings us this assurance that there is no place where God is not still present with us. No moment that he is not still there. So our second point here is, or two, is um, God is always present with us every, everywhere. So this is in verses 7 to 12. And I'm just going to reread it again because it's just so rich. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Wow, what an amazing reality. As I would read these verses each night before bed, more and more I sensed the reality that God's presence was with me in the darkness where I had felt alone. And then I think this, this went throughout my days then. You know, I was a teenager and, you know, you struggle with like fitting in and finding friends and, and you feel alone even though maybe you have people all around you. And I would go and I would walk to school and I would walk home and I realized I could talk to God about my days and that he was always there, present with me in everything I was experiencing. And then I moved away to university, and then, you know, to my first job, and then I moved to Scotland. (laughs) And that reality has still stuck with me, that God is with us everywhere we go, that we are never alone, even as a single person. I'm never, ever alone. God is present with us all the time, everywhere. God is in the heavens and in the darkest places of the earth, from the place where the sun rises to the place where it sets. Even in the dark in the middle of the night and in the darkest places of our lives, 
God is there. But this experience of being known and seen can also be very scary for us. One of our greatest desires is to be known, and yet we do fear it like nothing else. This is why any kind of intimacy can be hard. The psalmist speaks of this tendency to want to hide in response. And hiding is a very natural response when we sense the fear of being known by someone and feeling that maybe we fall short, but especially someone as great as God. So growing up, I uh, knew someone in my home (laughs) who had this habit of hiding from mom and dad. And so mom and dad would go away and... Uh, you know, before they would come home, she would go and hide, you know, and she hadn't even always done something wrong sometimes maybe, but it was just this feeling like, oh no, like, so this, this experience of, uh, yeah, hiding is often very common and especially with God, I think we, we feel that. But the funny thing to this is the psalm tells us God already knew all of it. There's nothing really that we can hide from him because he knows it all. Even the darkest parts of our lives are not dark to God. And so the next part of this psalm shows us that God sees a different side of ourselves than we often assume. So we often see, think, oh, it's all the bad stuff. So this is in verses 13 to 18. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So here the psalmist recognizes that God is the one who created him and shaped him carefully from the beginning. Rather than looking down on himself, he recognizes that God has made him wonderfully. So I remember when I was at university and I was rereading this psalm. I realized I didn't really believe this part of the psalm for myself. I think for most of us, when we look in the mirror, or we, you know, our own mirror of our mind, right? We, we, we think about ourselves and we judge ourselves and we see all the imperfections on all the things that are wrong. But the funny thing is, if we look at a flower, this is what I was reminded of, I wouldn't look at a flower and say, oh, that's an ugly flower. <laughs> God, you made an ugly flower. No, we would never say that because God God did make it beautifully. Um, And so I think sometimes um, we need to, to hear this reality that God actually sees us and knows us and loves us. Um, That He has made us and He is a good creator and so He doesn't make bad things. So, the next thing that we can think about as well with this is that we are created for a purpose in verse 16. It says, God saw our unformed body, and he has a plan for our lives. And this resonates um, with another place in Jeremiah 1, 4-5. And this is the calling of the prophet Jeremiah. It says, 
this when God called him into ministry. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And we might think, well, he's a prophet. You know, he's special or something like that. Um, But the New Testament also affirms this in Ephesians 2.10, which is very familiar maybe to you. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, his poema, or his work of creation, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared and advanced for us to do. So, with these, we see that God does not see us with eyes of condemnation, but as a proud and loving parent who wants the best for us. So I was kind of praying about whether I should share this or not, but there was a story, an experience that happened this week that I thought, I think I want to share this with you because I think it's how our Heavenly Father sees us. Um, And sometimes we have tangible experiences of that in our lives. So as you know, I've been uh, applying for jobs. I had my first interview on Thursday. And so then after that, uh, of course, these are always very vulnerable experiences. Um, And, you know, my dad had asked, oh, how did it go and all this. And so I called him and and we talked. And and he said he had been up all night, well, not all night, up till 2 a.m. or something, you know, thinking and praying for me because he was also, you know, just about this opportunity, and it happens to be at the school that is his alma mater, which is a little bit funny, but, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so there's all kinds of insecurities, right, that come out of that experience, and uh, as I'm trying to discern, okay, what do I do, and, you know, is this something I should really think about, and so anyway, so he then proceeds to talk to me about my life <laughs> from the time I was young to, to now. And I just, I choked up. I could, couldn't hardly even um, hear all of it because he was just talking about who I was as a child and as a teenager and, and all these moments where he had seen a call on my life and he had seen the things that no one else had seen and was so proud of me. And I think, you know, most of us don't get that experience in life. Um, I'm very, very lucky that I have a wonderful dad that, that said that. But as he was saying, I just couldn't even hardly take it in. And I think that for many of us, God wants to do that. He wants to be our Heavenly Father. And he wants to just tell you, I see you. I know you. I know all the things that nobody else knows the good and the bad. And what an amazing thing. And he doesn't look at us with eyes of judgment or harshness, but of pride and love and care for us. And so we are going to take a little time at the end um, to pray, but I, I just really pray that you see your Heavenly Father's pride and love in you. Maybe you didn't have that kind of a father, but he wants to be that kind of father to you. I hope you do that with your kids, too. (laughs) If your parents didn't do it, please do this with your kids. So the last part of this psalm, I think, is really out of the psalmist's um, own experience of God's love and care for him. We can be honest because we have that security with God. 
And so I think we're all a little bit baffled by this honesty. And he just kind of goes on. And it's like he's railing about his enemies. And he's frustrated about the problems in the world. And he's like, God, you need to bring justice you know, um, to the evil that I'm seeing all around and the persecution that he's feeling. And I think what this tells us, too, is that we don't have to sanitize our prayers. We, don't, we can just come to God as we are. And it's God's job to sift out and, and work out how this is going to happen. And so we can bring those concerns and those things before God. We can cry out to him. We can ask him why. And we can trust that he is the one who will sort it out. He'll make it right in his way. And we can hand that over to him and entrust him with it. And finally, I think this is a beautiful way that the psalm ends. In verses 22, or 23 and 24. We see that the psalm surrenders himself to God. And he invites God to intimately search and know him. Which is funny because God already knows. Right? But this, it's this reciprocity. It's this invitation to say... Yeah, I know you know me, but know me more. Like, he wants to enter into that. He's going to let God see him. He's not hiding from God. And so he's inviting God into this deeper intimacy. Um, and this is, again, rooted in his belief that God wants to lead him in a good and um, good way of life. And so we see, first of all, that he's concerned about these anxious thoughts and these offensive ways Um, that plague him. And so we can often see that in our own lives, how uh, fear or anxiety or anger or some kind of thing that's in our hearts, it really leads us down a wrong way, and it really destroys us. Um, And then the other thing that he says is he talks about the offensive or wicked ways, and this can be translated as painful or hurtful or toilsome ways. And the sense here is that um, sometimes we're living in ways that are out of line with God's ways. And that's not just a little thing. This actually causes harm to us and to others. Whether we recognize it or not, sin is not good for us. We might think, oh, I'm just indulging this little thing. But it actually can destroy us. And anyone who's gone to a doctor knows that it's good to go and to get healing and to have someone diagnose something. Um, And so I think in some ways that's really what he's inviting God to do. um, So that he can live, it says in the last line, in this everlasting way. Um, And so the idea here is the ways of God, which is revealed in scripture. It's the the way that God works, that, that that would lead him into this good way. But most of all, I think for a lot of us, we're like the sheep without shepherds, right? We're a little bit lost and wandering, and we go all over, and we're confused. And again, like that image that we saw earlier, um, God really leads us, and he wants to show us the way. And it says that Jesus himself is actually the good shepherd. He's the one who lays his life down for us. And as we follow him, who's the truth and the way and the life, Um, we are led into that good and everlasting way. And so it's not up to us to fix ourselves, but we invite God to search us and to know us, and he's the one who is going to lead us into that good way. We can't do it on our own. So as we end, um, 
I want us to remember that these last verses are built on this reality that that the psalmist knows that God knows him, that God is always with him everywhere, and God has created him wonderfully and has good plans for his life. And so he can be radically honest and open himself up to the intimate gaze of God. God alone is the one who has created him wonderfully, and he is continuing to create him and to shape him and to heal him and restore him. And so these last verses are a wonderful invitation to us, I think, as we head into the season of Lent. How perfect is that? So Lent is actually a time where we invite God to search and to know us, to heal and restore us as we wait for the resurrection. And so I want to lead you through a time of reflecting with God over your last day with just a few last minutes here. Um... And so I think this is a practice that you might even consider doing over Lent. And it's a practice I call, it's called, I don't call it, it's an ancient practice called examine or examination of consciousness. But it's simply a way of letting God search and know our hearts and not going in judging, but going with him as a loving father as he leads us sort of through um, each scene of our day and thinking about What is it, God, that you see? What do you want to heal in me? What are the things that you rejoice over? What are the things you grieve over with me? And so we're just in it with him. And so I want you to just close your eyes if you would like, if that helps you focus. Um, Paul's going to turn on some music um, as I lead in this. And I'm just going to lead you through it. And some of it, there's just going to be some time for you to be with God. So be still for a moment and just quiet your mind. Acknowledge that Jesus is present with you. And invite him to teach you. Over the next few minutes, I want you to think back to the moment that you woke up yesterday. Watch that scene as if in a video. And continue through the day, going from scene to scene. Just slowly. And as you reflect on them, some scenes may fill you with gratitude. Others might fill you with regret. But don't judge, just notice and speak to the Lord about each of these things. Is there anything that Jesus is inviting you to give to him? Is there a way that he's leading you? So you can just listen to the words of the psalm and just kind of do that. You can keep going back over things slowly in your mind and just see what is it the Lord's leading you into. What is he speaking? What is he saying?
on Ash Wednesday. It says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But... From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So Lord, we thank you, Father God, that you see us and you know us. You are crafting beautiful things out of dust. You are present with us in each and every moment, and you're faithful to us from beginning to end. We entrust ourselves to you. We love you. We accept that reality that you delight in each of your children. How to get the most of grammar. So we offer ourselves to you, um, and we pray that as we go into communion, we would let this reality sink in, that you have given yourself to us and that you have cleansed us and renewed us and you are continuing to remake us. Um, So thank you for this space with you in your name. Amen. This day in that place of sitting there with your Heavenly Father. As you've gone through recent hours, 